Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's sermon is entitled, What Lie Do You Believe? Recorded on January 1st, 2023 at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Happy New Year, everybody. Aren't we all so thankful that Australia celebrates at first so we can go to bed at 8.30? (laughs) It's official somewhere in the world. (laughs) Well, now it's 2023, so COVID's done, and gas prices are back to $2 and rent at $5.50, right? Isn't that what we were all promised? (laughs) Didn't happen yet, did it? Um, Before I get into the word today, I just, um, as we were worshiping, in fact, as uh, Jose had touched on the, the song that they sang about Father... I was just really kind of wrapped up in that song, and um, it really kind of made me, I I kept kind of hearing God say, um, it doesn't matter how you see yourself, but what matters is how I see you. Um, Because so many of us can get caught up in what we don't see in us, the expectations. I know that I dealt with regret for a lot of years until God really just said, just let it go. What are you going to do? You can't change it anyway. And so if you're struggling with that sense of vision, I just want to pray before we begin. Um, I want to share a quick little story. Um, My sister, brother-in-law, and um, my niece came to town. This had been, gosh, 20 years since they'd been to Albuquerque. They live in the New Orleans area. And uh, they were actually uh, looking at some property out here. They, They have a little ranch in Louisiana where they live. And so we were looking at this one property which was about 80 years old, and it was wedged between these two farms, and so it was very, very narrow, but it was long, and there was an old farm, uh, like a a barn, and then there was this really, really old concrete building there, and to the city dweller that goes on this farm, we're just kind of like, all right, whatever, but as I'm following my brother-in-law around, he's just got this vision of, he's like, okay, the cattle can go over here, and we can put a horse pasture here, and then another one. Oh, and the fences, they only need just a little bit of upkeep. And it just kind of, I, I was thinking about that this morning and how God sees things about us that we don't necessarily see about ourselves. You know, and it says that people perish for a lack of vision. And if you're struggling right now with what next week looks like, what tomorrow looks like, what the rest of today looks like, ask God and he will give you that understanding into who it is that he's making you into. He's still not done, but don't lose um, hope. Don't lose heart if you're not quite where you want to be, because maybe that's not where God wants you anyway. Maybe he's got a better place and a better purpose for you. And maybe the things that you've been struggling with have been kept at that struggle area for a reason. And God says, cease from striving and know that I'm God. Allow me to show you where it is that I want to take you. And then as um, Jose said, the minute that we allow him in, we're going to get to that place that we wanted to be, to that destination. So that's just a freebie. Okay. So we're going to be looking at the book of Jude today, one chapter. 
Um, I was going to call it Hey Jude, you know, just because of the Beatles, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start a new uh, series called the One Book Wonder Series, because the last time I preached it was on Philemon, and so one, you know, one chapter, one book. Anyway, so um, we're going to go ahead and look at, I have entitled this message, um, What Lie Do You Believe? And as we get into Jude, I want to first talk about some things that we might think are true, but that aren't necessarily true. So here's, here's just three little items. If you swallow gum, it takes seven years for that gum to digest. A lot of us might have heard that or been told that. It's actually not true. It does take a little bit longer to digest, but it, in seven days it's usually out of your system. The, um, the old adage that if you crack your knuckles a lot, you'll get arthritis. Harvard study did do a study of people that cracked their knuckles and don't crack their knuckles, and neither group was prone to having arthritis. They did say that if you do crack your knuckles a lot, you may lose some grip strength and you might drop things, but that's about the only side effect, no arthritis. And then the last thing that we sometimes are told and believe is that we only use 10% of our brains. Have you guys, have you guys heard of that, 10 12%? Well, that's also not true. Um, it is true that not all of the synapses fire at the same time. Otherwise, our brains would just go crazy with all of these thoughts, and maybe some of you have that. But all of our brain is working all the time in order to keep all of us, all of our systems alive and going. So, but I just I share those because sometimes even as believers we hear things. There's almost like these Christian old wives' tales or, you know, urban legends that we've heard so often that you almost just believe that they're true. And so we need to really allow the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's confirmation in our heart to be the witness of authority as to what is true and what is false. So as we get into Jude today, I want to just give a little bit of background on who Jude is. Jude says in the very beginning, he says, Jude, pronounced Judah, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, he's actually the half-brother of Jesus, and James is also the half-brother of Jesus, and so Jude and James are, are both uh, full brothers. But he's, he makes this representation of himself by cl claiming heritage to James and not Jesus, really out of a sense of humility and reverence. He was not one of the disciples while Jesus was on earth, he didn't actually even come into the ministry until Jesus was resurrected and ascended. And then he became a very strong uh, leader in the Jewish community. He became a, a traveling missionary. And um, so, he, uh, so as we go on in verse 2, it says, To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So, in this book, Judas is going to be addressing a very general church. A lot of the other books that we read in the New Testament are to specific churches. But this is really just a general call to the churches, so it's going to be to Jewish Christians or Gentile believers. And um, he says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, a very standard greeting. And then in verse 3 he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I find it necessary to write appealing to you. And then he's going to get into this. So the original purpose of this letter was just a very much, hey, I want to just talk about our salvation and what we have in common. This is great. Well, this book was written kind of contemporary to Second Peter. 
And in 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter actually prophesies about, he says, you know what? There's going to come a day when false teachers are going to come into the church. And really this book, and in fact the way that he, that he talks about this, as he says, and I, I write, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he's going to go on in verse 4 to say, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this combination. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So basically... Jude is going to say, you know that prophecy that, that Peter gave to us about those false teachers that are, going to, that are going to come into the church? Well, guess what? The old poltergeist saying, they're here. They are now in the church. And he, he basically stopped the very intent of his letter, and he said, you know, this is so much more urgent that I tell you about this and that I give you the tools that you need so that you contend for the faith, so that you can basically debunk these false teachers. And so as we get into the book of Jude, he's going to give us the description of what these false teachers are like. He's going to tell us what's going to happen to them. And he's also going to tell us what's going to happen to those that would follow them. And so this book was written right around four decades after Jesus died and was rose again from the dead. And so this was right around 60 to 80 A.D., about 70-ish A.D. And um, I like that phrase that he used. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Korean subway platform, like at rush hour. But if you watch the YouTube videos, it is a free-for-all. I mean, they are just wedged in, and they just, everybody, you know, usually the courtesy is you let the people off the train, and then the other people get on the train. No, it is every person for themselves. It is a mad rush to get off, as well as a mad rush to get on. And then even after the train pulls away, there's still a mob of people left. And so it would be very easy to just kind of slip into one of those crowds of people and you would never really know that, that a foreign entity had enter, entered into your midst. And that's exactly what he's saying here as he goes, there's someone that's come into our midst and they've gone in completely unnoticed, but they are someone that is of high danger that we need to be aware of. And he says that, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny the only master um, and Lord Jesus Christ. So what they do is they twist that grace. We all know that grace is the unmerited favor. It's that mercy and love and forgiveness that we have received, but we have done nothing to earn it. We have done nothing to gain it. It is all as a matter of a gift that, that Christ has given to us. And so as we have been forgiven for our past sins and all of our future sins, this group of people, they're going to come in and say, oh, this is great. We've been forgiven and we've even been given the Holy Spirit. And now we're just going to use this as a license to do whatever it is that we want to do. We're going to do, and, and specifically how they're using this sin um, re relates to money and sex. You know, the, the two most powerful kind of things that would push people forward. And we're going we're gonna to get into this as we go. And so in doing so, um, they deny the authority of Christ. Um, and everything they're doing is contrary to God's teaching. 
But the real crime of all of this is that they're going to say, all of the things that we're doing, God is, God is validating that we do this. And that's what's really, really dangerous for the churches because they don't look any different than the other believers there. So if there's a younger believer or a weaker believer and they see the way this person is acting and they're going, wow, really? I don't even have to change any of the things I was doing formerly. I can just continue to do it. But now I'm blessed and I'm forgiven and I can just go on my merry way. And that is a twisting of the truth. And that's why this was of such great importance that Jude make this known. So immediately in verse 5, he's going to give us a list of three Old Testament examples of those that rebelled and those and what happened to them. Now I really like Jude because this is such a great example of, of the authenticity of the Word of God. Because Unlike a lot of other books of the Bible, they'll give you kind of an introduction to a thought or a theme, and they'll expand on it, and they'll describe it. Not Jude. <laughs> Jude speaks and writes in a shorthand as though his audience would immediately understand those little references that he's making. So, for example, if I was to speak and I was to tell you, you know, say something, and then I, I mention the word 9-11, immediately to your brain comes a, an entire sequence of events and descriptions and Twin Towers and airplanes and terrorists and all those kinds of things just because I said the word 9-11. Or if I said the word Holocaust, immediately you would think of World War II and Jews and concentration camps and all those kinds of things. So as Jude is writing, he's making references to things that his people in his modern day time instantly connected with. It's a little confusing to us as a, as a reader over 2,000 years later. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through that kind of in the way that it was meant to be heard by their listener, and then I'll break it down for you so that you can kind of understand the bigger context of it. But I want you to see that this is really how you would write if you needed to, to give a lot of information to people and you had a very, very short and, and he's like, I can't take time to do a, a four-page letter. I need to get this information off as quickly as possible. Even the breadth of this letter speaks to its urgency, speaks to the impact that he's wanting to give to them. So he's going to use a lot of these little clipped references that were only really understandable to that audience that was there. He says, now I want to remind you, although once, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, um, who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So right there, those are two examples. Just in those two quick little sentences. The third example. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So as we look at this, there's going to be some descriptions here that were like, well, I don't remember reading about that in the actual Bible. That's because some of the texts that he's quoting were important Jewish texts in the day, like the book of First Enoch or the Testament of Moses. So we don't 
those are not canonized in our Bible, but back in that time, these were very important and recognized documents of the day. In the same way that when I'm doing a Bible study, sometimes I'll look to a commentary that will speak to and help bring a better light and a bigger light on some of the things of Scripture. That's just the similar kinds of helps as what these were. So if there's some of the details that you don't think that, well, I don't think I've ever read that in Scripture, it's probably because they're not in Scripture and they're in one of these other supporting documents that were very prevalent in that day. So the first thing that he's talking about is the grumbling, unbelieving Israelites who died in the wilderness. We know that story. Moses goes in, saves the people out of Pharaoh's um, that were slaves there. He was bringing them to the promised land. They begin to grumble. They're very unbelieving. They're very rebellious until God finally pronounced judgment and says, those that have been grumbling, you're going to die out in the wilderness, and it'll be the next generation that goes in and receives the promised land. The second thing that he talks about, he says, rebelling angels who had relations with women and who are imprisoned until judgment day. There is some, there's some allusions to that in Genesis where it talks about um, the, those that had come down and the giants and the Anakim, which were the, the line of uh, David's giant that he fought. But it, it, there's a lot more details that are given in the book of First Enoch that talk about how angels left their place. They were rebellious. They went down. They had relationships with women. And in so doing, God caused them to be bound until the time of eternal judgment. And so he's saying the people in the wilderness rebelled. They died. The angels, they rebelled. They're now being held in their captivity until their judgment will come. And the third example that he gives us is he says... The evil men of Sodom and Gomorrah who tried to have sex with angels and were judged by fire. We all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels were sent there to destroy it. They were actually met by a mob of men who were trying to have relationships with them. And then we all know also that that city was destroyed by um, fire and brimstone. And so we see the rebellion of the, the, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah and the outcome that happened. And so Jude is basically saying, okay, these teachers that are coming in in our midst that look like us, that sound like us, that maybe even feel like family, they're not. And I'm telling you that the things that they're doing, their rebellion, this is what's going to become of it. And I don't want you to become involved in it. And I want you to understand the severity of this rebellion, that this is the kind of um, judgment that God is going to pronounce upon it. So he's really trying to add perspective to this, that it's not just a, oh yeah, somebody said that you can do this and it's okay for you to follow that. He says, no, you need to really think twice who it is that is teaching you, who it is that you are listening to. And so we continue in verse 8. He says, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. And I, I like that phrase that says relying on their dreams. It basically just says they're not even looking to the Bible. They're not looking to the Holy Spirit. Whatever comes out of their brains is exactly what they're going to follow. And as we continue in verse 9, um, But when the archangel contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And this is, you read this verse and you're like, 
what in the world does that mean? Well, this actually comes from the Testament of Moses, which was said to have been written by Enoch, the one that walked with God that never died. And it's about this situation where Moses had already died, and the devil and the archangel Michael are having this discussion about what to do with the bones of, of Moses. And the archangel Michael, he's a, he's a higher entity, he could have rebuke the devil, but because he understood that doing that would really be an act of rebellion, he would be stepping into a position that was not his. That position of authority, that position of rebuke was reserved only for God. And so in submission and humility, understanding his place, he says, no, the Lord rebuke you. That's all that he said to the devil. And so now we're being given the other side of the coin. So we've seen the three examples of rebellion and what happens. And now he says, here's one that could have rebelled and decided that, no, this is not good because this something bad could happen. He didn't rebel. So he's giving us differing kinds of examples so that we can understand how the rebellion and the consequences work. Okay, so verse number 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Wow, what a statement. So it's like something comes from the Holy Spirit. Some word of truth comes from the Bible. Their own Christian friends are telling them truth. And all they can do is just blaspheme them. They just they just catcall them. They just call them idiots. They just call them fools. But instead what they do is they almost act like an animal that is that is on auto drive by instinct. They're like their minds and their bodies and their actions are that of a beast. You know, you you see those uh, the videos online of these people that are raising like wild animals or wolves or lions and stuff. And then out of the blue, it's like it turned on them. Well, that's because that wild animal was still in that animal, even though it was in a domestic situation. And that's a really good analogy for these people. They are these wild animals. They will not be tamed. And given given an opportunity, they will turn on those people and they will devour them. And then he says, woe to them, exclamation point, for they walked in the way of Cain. And now he's going to give us some examples of people that rebelled, but then also corrupted other people to rebel. And we're going to see what happened to them. So now it's gone from that, not just teaching, but also they've now got followers. And now we're going to see what happens when we take it to the next level. And once again, he's just going to give us some really quick little references. He's not going to develop them a lot because these are understood in the language and in the, in the, in the context of the day. He says... Um, For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Three examples right in that one sentence there. So the first one was Cain, the son of Adam. He murdered his brother Abel. And then after that, he actually went on to found the city of Nod, which was very synonymous with violence and robbery. If you went into Nod, you were sure to probably be beaten up and robbed. And then we have Balaam, who was a soothsayer. He was a magician. He um, actually tricked the Israelites into coming and being involved in sexual immorality and sacrificing food to idols. And then the last one is Korah. He's a Levite. 
He's actually the cousin of Moses. And his position within the Levites was not that of a priest, but just as one that was a servant. Because most of the tribe of the Levites, they were about maintaining the temple and working in the temple as a priest. And Korah really wanted to be a priest. And so one day he was so jealous of Moses that he got a group of people together and they started a rebellion. Well, what happened to them is God opened up the earth and the entire rebellion was swallowed up by the earth. And so now in these, like I said, one sentence with three examples, um, Judas saying, do you remember what happened here and here and here? He's, these are all just like bullet points and everybody's like, oh yeah, that's right. Korah and Balaam and um, Cain. And so all of these are very, they're very impactful. This is a very meaty letter because Jude isn't taking time to go, oh, and let me explain it to you for the 101 listener here. These are all Jewish um, Christians and Gentile believers that have read the texts, that know the context. And for us, it's important that we understand the context of our own lives, of the times in our lives when we've seen those who have rebelled against God taken down. We could go through the list. We can, we can look at a list of pastors who have fallen to sexual immorality, and it's basically blotted their entire ministry off the earth. They're no longer around, you know, or they've, they've done something criminal, and once again, they're no longer around. We, we see the same thing even with politicians, even with those in power, CEOs of companies. Those things, yeah, they for a season, you may enjoy that, but God says, no, there will be a day of reckoning. All right, so let's move on to verse 12. Oh, this is great. Okay, so he's going to hit us with some beautiful illustrative imagery uh, about what these people are like. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast without, as they feast with you without fear. Now a reef is like, so when you're boating, there's two things that you have to look out for, sandbars and reefs. So we were, uh, when I was a kid, we uh, had a little four-seater speedboat, and we would, my dad would fish on the Mississippi River. Have, has anybody ever seen the Mississippi River? Well, not this last year's not a good example, because it was so low that the barges couldn't even go up it. But have you guys ever seen a barge? They are freaking huge. And so here we are on this single-engine outboard, driving in the wake of a barge, just going like this. And all of a sudden, we're driving along, and boom, we just stop. We hit a sandbar. So basically, a sandbar is just like, it's, it's like earth in the, middle of the, in the middle of the river that's about this deep. <laughs> and so the boat hit it, and we were immediately just stopped in our tracks. Well, a reef is similar to that, you know, like the coral reef, the Great Barrier Reef that you see off the coast of, of Australia. They're even more dangerous because a reef is like a growing rock. And if your boat comes into contact it, it can literally rip the entire bottom side of the boat and, and it could cause you to sink. And so, so this little sentence gives you the idea of just how dangerous these people are. They're hidden reefs. If you don't even know you're there, you're just going to be sailing along and boom, you're dead. They're going to destroy you. But they have the audacity. They're going to go to your feasts. And without fear, they're just going to sit next to you and they're going to talk to you about your kids and their kids and the weather and what's going on. And they'll seem like they have the same goals and purposes in mind as you. And he's saying, no, 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 they do not. And then he says, they're shepherds feeding themselves 
waterless clouds. Have you ever seen like, you know, it's been really dry and you're like, oh, look at the clouds. And then it just, the wind just takes it away and there's no water in it. He says, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. And then this is where he talks about their um, their ultimate destination of judgment. He says, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Isn't that really cool picturesque language? Just that they're just this wandering star that's just going to get sucked up into the darkness and they're never going to be heard from again. That's God's judgment. That's God's plan. As confident as they may seem about their purposes, about their evil, about their invitation for you to join them, this is their ultimate end. As great as it sounds, don't be deceived or enticed by that. He says, this is what they are truly like, and he just lays it out there. He says they're grumblers, they're malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And that last one was a little tip for the believers. He goes, if they're coming to you and they're seeming like they're friendly, they may have an ulterior motive. They may want to show you favoritism so that they can get something from you. So um, as we continue in 17, he says, but you must remember, and now he's, he's shifting his focus from the false teachers to the believers. And he says, okay, this is you. This is your armor. This is how you fight this battle. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. So he's saying, we've already, we've already got our leaders who've gone before us and who have given us understanding. They were in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament. We're not aware. We're not caught off guard. We knew they were coming. We just need to be ready for them. And we need to understand and learn how to identify who they are. He says, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. They're going to seem like they have the Holy Spirit, but your spirit is going to discern and you're going to go, no, there's something not right here. They, they, don't, they don't have the Holy Spirit because a person of that spirit would have that love. And that's why I love in the very beginning how he uses that word beloved. And he says, one of the, one of the best uh, ways to know that you're around the beloved, peace, mercy, and love, and not only that, but it's continually multiplied to you. All right, picking up in uh, verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying, obviously, that is something that we, you know, we, we sometimes forget that we have the option to pray until we were like, oh, wow, things have gone under underground now. I should probably pray. You know, God is saying, you don't, you don't, we can pray without ceasing. You walk around in that, in kind of that um, conversation with God. You know, sometimes he doesn't like the things that I'm saying on my side of the conversation. Sometimes I don't like the kinds of things I'm saying. In fact, um, so funny, last night we, uh, we stayed up to, to watch 
the ball drop. And right when uh, we were getting ready to put things away, I had like a mini seizure and I threw my glass. <laughs> it was full and it hit our brand new couch. And I was like, where did this come from? I was just collecting glasses and it was like out of nowhere. I'm like, okay, that's how we start 2023. My wife's out there with the steam cleaner at 12 10 in the morning. I was like, oh man. This is, so it was, it was just a weird way to start the, the, the new year. Um, and so we have the option to pray, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? By going where the family of God is, by not forsaking the fellowship. It's, it is so different. You can, you can feel so isolated and alone. And then you come into a midst of believers and your spirit just swells and it just blossoms and it just opens. And there's things about you that you knew were there, but they didn't come alive until there was another light of God to be around you to kind of draw that out. And so that is so, so important. And it really goes against the the kind of lifestyle that the world says you can have. And really, if you wanted to live as a lone island, you can do it in this day and age of of deliveries to your house and food and groceries. I mean, more so than ever, if you never needed to leave the house, you could do so. But then you get lost in your own brain and you don't want to trust that because even as we were, as we read earlier about them, just, you know, kind of relying upon their, their dreams, the depraved thinking that comes out of our own minds. And so let me continue on here. He says, and have mercy uh, let me see, I think I said, in 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And this is now how he says to relate to others. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. So here's where it comes. Okay, so we need to be aware of those that would be false teachers. But there's going to come those that come in that just don't understand and they doubt, and they're, they're not seasoned in the Lord, he's saying, on those, have mercy on them. Help them along. Don't lop them in the same camp, just because they may be doing some of the same things as those false teachers. In fact, those false teachers might see them as easy prey and say, hey, come with me. I'll show you what this Christian life looks like. Have mercy upon those that are struggling. And you're going to know the difference between those that are struggling and those that are defiantly living a life of sin. And then he says, he steps it up one more, and he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And this basically is just Christianity, love 101. If you see a brother or sister caught in sin, it is our responsibility to restore them in a spirit of love. Not, you know, not correcting them with hateful speech or saying, I can't believe you did that. Because we were all there at one time. We all struggled in our steps of growth. And that's exactly what they are. And how we correct them or receive them or reject them is really pivotal on how it is that their growth may continue or not continue. And those are the kind of speed bumps that sometimes derail a Christian. They're like, well, I guess if that's what Christianity is like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So we need to be that voice of compassion, that voice of correction when we see that opportunity. And then he says, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So basically what he's saying here 
is he goes, there's a difference between snatching someone from the fire and getting pulled in yourself because the temptation can be very great and it might overtake you. So be careful as you're trying to save that person that is struggling that you don't fall yourself into that same struggle and get burned by that very fire that you're trying to save them from. Okay, we're going to wrap this up, guys. Um, he says, uh, trust... Oh, let me see. Where am I at here? Okay. So one of the things that we as Christians sometimes believe are lies. And one of those lies can be God helps those who help themselves. Have you guys heard people say that a lot? Well, if you really take that apart, that's a very, very bad piece of advice. Because it's basically saying, just go on your way. And as long as you're doing something, God's going to help you. Well, how do you know what your way is? Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And so I would say, yes, as long as you are following after what you know that God has told you to do, then yes, you need to be active and you need to be doing something because I think there's the other side of it where the Christian goes, oh, God just hasn't done anything yet and I keep praying. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? Are, are you partnering with the process or are you just waiting for something to happen to you? Because a lot of us just want to be like a, a self-served kind of a Christian. We think God's the eternal waiter up there just and he's going to come by and take our order and, and serve us. He's like, no. He wants us to be active about the process of our own life, about our own growth, but under his guidance, under following after his vision. So in summary, this is Jude's warning. He says, watch for the supposed Christian teachers with false doctrines of selfishness, sinfulness, and division. And I want to I say this about the false teachers. What they're teaching isn't necessarily the biggest danger. The biggest danger is that they claim that their teachings are from God. Let me, let me give you an example of how this might look. So one of William Shakespeare's most famous poems is Sonnet 18. I want to read the two, first two verses of that. It says, um, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. So if we were to just take and change three words of this sonnet in these two opening verses. I'm going to change the word summer to rainy, the word lovely to repulsive, and the word temperate to violent. And here's how this is going to read. Oh, but by the way, I'm also going to claim that this was written by William Shakespeare. Shall I compare thee to a rainy day? Thou art more repulsive and more violent. There would be some literature people that would lose their minds if we went in and we started changing words of this famous sonnet and said, no, 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 William Shakespeare still wrote this. You see, that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. They were saying, it doesn't matter how many words or how much we twist the meaning because God still said this is true. And we see this in modern day times. We know that God has a biblical definition of marriage. And the world has taken that definition of marriage and they've added a lot of things to it. And for me, as a Christian, I say, you know what? If you want to have a union and you want to make up all of these different rules and you want to teach others to do that, 
I can't stop you. You're going to believe what you're going to believe. You're going to do what you're going to do. But claim authorship for that yourself. Don't then turn it around and say God was the author of something that you have so twisted and made such a variation. And that's exactly what the enemy does. That is the demonic strategy that is going on in our world. One, because God's authority is so strong that the only way the teachings of the enemy have any credibility is if he steals the author and said, no, 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 this is what it meant all along. That's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. He said, no, 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 that's not what God meant. That might have been what he said, but that's not what he meant. And then once the, the deed was done, he stepped back and he became the accuser of the brethren and said, you messed up and you're going to get the full weight of those consequences. He's not your buddy. He's not your ally, but he will sell you everything that he is selling at full price and he won't tell you about the balloon payment at the very end that will come due. That is the nature of the demonic false teacher that is claiming authorship under God. So the last lie that we as Christians may believe is that, and I've, I've shared this before, but I just wanted to share it again because it's very apropos with this. God knows my heart. And a lot of people in the world, you know, yeah, I believe in God. They don't understand anything that Jesus did about that. I believe in God, and I'm a good person. And basically, God knows my heart. What that means is that doesn't matter what I do. God's looking into my heart. My actions don't really have a bearing. At the end of the day, he's going to look at me and go, yeah, Joe Blow's a good person. He can come on in. That's, that's not what the word of God says. There's, and it's not about your actions either. It's not about you earning something. We all know that it's about what Christ did for us, believing in that. There's a scripture in Matthew 3.8 that really sums it up for me. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so what that means, this is actually John the Baptist talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees that are coming to get, get baptized. And he's saying, don't just go through this motion because you're afraid and you see all these other lines of people coming to get baptized. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And what I love about that little statement is he's saying, it's not just about you going out and doing all these good works that are going to be in your good column, and so now you have more in the good than the bad. He's saying, bear fruit. Live a life that is one of repentance, that is acknowledging that Christ forgave you, but that you are also continually on your journey, that you're, you're going to screw up, you're going to go through trials, you're not going to do it perfectly, you're walking in repentance in your relationship with God, you're walking in repentance with one another, so that when you screw up and you drop the ball with those that you call friends and, and family and those that you love, there's something in you that says, will you please forgive me? And you forgive them, you extend it as much as you seek it. And so if we're having those kinds of actions, then our lifestyle is in agreement and is bearing witness to the heart that we have. You see, Jude's main warning is that how you live is an indicator of what you actually believe. And you should also judge your teachers accordingly. So those that are teaching you, you, not need, you need to not only look at what it is that they're saying, 
but you need to look at how it is that they're living because that's going to be a bigger indicator of the path that they're actually on. And so we're going to go ahead and end with one of the best doxologies in the, in the book. Um, and it's also got some very beautiful language. Um, it's 24 and 25 of Jude. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. As we conclude, it's, it's something that we can't quickly overlook, that Jude is the brother of Jesus, that he grew up with this kid. Or, you know, I don't know if Jesus was a lot older. I don't know the reference of, of age and stuff. But he had a knowledge of Jesus beyond what we in this book do. And so for him to not acknowledge Jesus as Messiah was probably understandable. If my sister came to me and said, well, you know what, I've had this experience with God and, and I'm doing these miracles and all that, I'd, I'd be like, okay, okay, a uh, little too many sangrias there. You know, I, I don't know that I would legitimately believe it right off the bat. But then the life-changing of his crucifixion and his resurrection and, and meeting him face-to-face completely changed Jude's life and the course of it. And so Jude is not just a person that's coming from uh, just a, a scholarly or an academic viewpoint of Christianity. He's got first-hand, I know Jesus when he was the carpenter's son. I knew Jesus as a resurrected Christ, the ascension. And now this is my life purpose. There is a Christ that we all need to reconnect with that is that personal to us. That's our daddy father. That is someone that has been in the intimate places where we struggle. That, and we need to invite him in if we have kept him at arm's length. And so as we conclude in prayer, Lord God, we thank you so much that as we start this new year, Father God, that we don't do so under the auspices of who it is that we were. We want to seek who you see us as, Father God, and we want to walk in that person with full confidence. Father God, help us to have wisdom to be aware of those that would come in, and they're not necessarily going to come into the church. They're not going to come in to revive, but they're going to come into our lives, and they're going to come alongside of us, and they're going to sound like us, and they're going to seem like they're purposes and goals are aligned with ours. And it's not that we're to be um, suspicious of every person that we meet, but we need to be wise, Father God, that we don't give away the goods that you've entrusted to us. But also, Father God, we want to have a heart for those that are struggling, that are needing to be corrected, that need to be snatched from the fire. So, Father God, equip us to be able to walk in the fullness that you have for us each and every one of us in this new year. Lord God, we thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. 
thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.